You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking about Halloween. I hope this show gets up on time, but it is the Saturday before Halloween here. And there are going to be a lot of ghosts and ghouls out roaming the streets. And Christians sometimes are left wondering, what do we do today? A lot of them will hold up in their house and turn off the lights and pray regularly that absolutely no one can get them by. And then a lot of us, and I'm in this category, we will have no problem giving out candy to all the trick-or-treaters. And personally, if it was in the financial cards, I'd be wearing a costume. But what what is a Christian to do? Well, to discuss it, I brought on Kim Wire. She's a co-author of uh, the book Redeeming Halloween with Pam McCune. Now, who is she? She's a mom of grown kids who are still doing some growing up, all game-free employed, so she's one happy mom and now a new grandmother, a very busy woman. She's sandwiched between a growing family and growing older parents. She has a kind and funny husband who has been her partner for 30 years now and is thrilled they are empty nesters. Well, aside from all the animals that keep her house, she's best to have a circle of friends who have taught her very much. And... When she's not doing family, she's a writer, a Bible teacher, a speaker, and a talk radio host. She has a passion for engaging women in an exciting life of faith, because from there, everything else makes sense. She's offered four books, written more than 1,000 newspaper columns, hosted a radio program for 11 years, and traveled the country engaging women for the Word of God and each other. She's on the journey of being God's woman in the 21st century, Involves joy and struggles, heartbreaks and triumphs. It's hard and easy. It takes incredible strength and fully embracing weaknesses. For her, being a woman is the most blessed position in all creation, but being God's woman is the most privileged. It's an honor to engage with other women from all works of life, backgrounds, and seasons of life who share our enviable position as God's beloved daughters. She's also a graduate of Stephen F. Austin State Statue University. That might be state there with a degree in journalism and an author of four books and a freelance writer. And she has a current article on Halloween on Focus on the Family. So, um, Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. It's fun to be here. You're not. If my audience doesn't know you, how did you get to be doing what you're doing? Oh, golly. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always amused by that question because every time you ask anybody that question, if we're honest, we look back and think, well, only by the grace of God, because that's what you can't plan out. So I think that's probably my story, too. Uh, probably midway through college, it became very clear to me that writing was my calling. But as a believer in Christ, that was really the priority for me. And so it just worked out where God let me weave those two things together. Uh, my passion to communicate truth to people with having a truth worth communicating. And so, you know, from from pursuing a journalism degree 
to then asking our local newspaper if I could write a column that goes on the spiritual, the religion page. And it's sort of an every woman's experience of day-to-day life. So people go, oh, that kind of thing just happened to me. But then it winds its way to some kind of a spiritual truth. Just kind of open the door from there to what's the next way I could communicate? Well, what's the next way I could communicate? So I was always either looking for doors or knocking on doors because I really think the truth that we have to communicate is something every one of us should try to communicate in every possible way. And I, I just wanted to use sort of my gifts to do that. So it just one thing led to another. And here we are. Hmm. You know, I have to say it's kind of intimidating having someone on the show who works in radio as well, because I mean, it's like, okay, I, I got to do the host thing as good as I can, because I'm doing for a professional now. <laughs> well, basically, we're all just talkers. That's all we are. So I'm, I'm happy to be with another talker. Okay. Now, with Halloween here, there are, as I said at the start, very mixed opinions sure. on it. I grew up in a household where Halloween was never an issue, and we were a Christian household. I went out regularly until I was about 13 or 14, trick-or-treating. I think my favorite costumes was either going as Link from The Legend of Zelda or going as a ninja every year. Now, my wife, on the other hand, when she was going up for a while, her parents were awfully scared about Halloween, and she laments that it was only one year that she got to go trick-or-treating. And how is it that one day it seems to have such diametrically opposed views to it. Well, you know, it's really funny. I think it's it's depending on what generation you're in as well. When I was a kid, Nick, I, our family, we just, it was fun. You went trick-or-treating and you went to Halloween parties and you bobbed for apples and it was just fun. Uh, I think it was in the early 80s that talk radio really grabbed hold of this idea of um, the evil roots of Halloween and really was throwing out the red flag saying believers don't participate because Satan worshipers love this day. There was a guy that uh, came out and said, oh, I used to be a Satan worshiper. Now I'm a Christian. Here's all the things that we did. And it really stirred up the pot for believers to start going, well, okay, what is Halloween? And um, then it almost became this pressure thing. Well, gosh, if, if my church says I can't do it, even though I don't see anything wrong with it, I shouldn't do it. And there was this sense of being judged. And eventually this guy that came out and said he was this high warlock was debunked. It wasn't true. He made the whole thing up. But by that time, it was in the Christian psyche that good Christians run from Halloween because it's the spiritual thing to do. Um, and, and I was raising my children in that time. That was, would have been the mid to late 80s uh, or in the early 90s. And so, you know, that's that's when I was having my kids. And so as a, as a believer who listened to Christian radio as a mom, I'm like, oh, no, I never thought about this. Now what am I going to do? And so that residual is still hanging on for a lot of families. But the pendulum has swung some. And there are a whole lot of other Christians that just say, ah, poo, we're going to have fun and no big deal. So that you still then have that that tension um, in the church between the haves and the have nots or the, the Halloweens and the Halloween nots. Yeah. Did this uh, guy who claimed to be an ex-Satanist and such, did he by any chance speak to the Prophecy Club one time? Because I remember seeing a talk by someone with a very similar claim, and my wife, Ari, and I were just looking at some of the things you were saying, and frankly, we were laughing. Because, no, no, this, this is too ridiculous. You think that's satanic? 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I know basically he made the entire Christian circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he had the opportunity to to give forth um, in lots of venues to lots of people. It was then, you know, repeated out and out and out. And like I said, Christian Radio picked it up, all with good intentions that we would be, you know, innocent as doves. Um, but um, so I'll tell you what challenged what challenged me and my and my co-author, who uh, was not my co-author at the time. She's just my best friend, and we were raising our kids at the same time. And you know, we we basically had to come to the same decision. I mean, what are we going to do? Um, we had already written one Christmas book and focused on the family. Said, well, would you guys write a book on Halloween? Because really, there's a lot of anxiety for Christian families. And we realized, well, I don't know because we're still wrestling with this. It really challenged us to dive in historically and find out what is true about this season and where it came from mm-hmm. and where it is now so that as a family, we can make a decision. Because quite, quite frankly, we, we were just sort of on the fence. We didn't know what to do. We didn't feel good about any decision that we made. Um, and so the challenge actually was such a, brought such freedom to our families as we didn't just go with hearsay, we said, you know what? We're going to dig in and we're going to find truth. And it was exciting to do that. It was exciting what we found. You know, historically, as someone who looks at history at all, I've looked into a lot of things about X being based on paganism and such. And you know, a lot of these were even say that Christianity was a copy of a pagan religions and such. I've looked at this stuff so much, so many times that I don't even blink anymore. But one of the things I've told people before is, for instance, as a married man, I wear a wedding ring. In fact, I I used to take it off for things like showers and such. Now I keep it on regardless anyway. So it's been on my finger for over six years now. And I've said, you know, there are some people who have claimed that wedding rings are pagan. As an example. If you could convince me beyond the shadow of a doubt that a wedding ring had a pagan origin, what would I do different? Absolutely nothing. I am still keeping my ring on. Why? Because when I put that ring on, it, or rather when I put it on me, it wasn't in dedication to a pagan god. It was in dedication to her and a vow made before, between, before God and men. Even if the pagans came up with it, we, still, we, we, we co-opted the idea, as it were. And when I wear this ring, I'm not honoring a pagan deity. I'm honoring her. Yeah, that's a great that's a great analogy to what so many of the things in our Christian culture. If you if you go back to even Easter, so many of the symbols of Easter, which is a whole other story and don't want to go there. But so many of those symbols, you follow back their roots and you might not be happy with what the root of it is. But I feel okay because I know what meaning I've assigned to it. I'm I have a clear conscience before the Lord and how I celebrate incorporating in the symbolisms that I use. And so I think that's a great analogy, Nick. So where does Halloween come from then? Okay, this is really fun. So we always say that the roots of Halloween go all the way back to the cross. And that statement alone is going to have some people going, no, what? Okay, so this is really fun. If you go back to when Jesus was, walking this earth and teaching his disciples. Um, His whole goal was to open the eyes of those he was speaking to about an alternative kingdom. 
And most people didn't understand it because they could only wrap their brains around what they could see here and now. Um, And so most of what he said wasn't understood until after he was gone. And we had the Holy Spirit that teaches us. And that includes something that he said to his followers, because his followers, while they were following him and, and they did at some point make the profession, we believe you're the son of God. They are still all of them living in a reality where they're looking for a king, like an earth king. Uh, it would be a while before they really recognized you know, what he had come for as a savior of the world and a, and a king of a different kingdom. But one of the things that he told to his followers, Nick, was he told them, you're going to suffer for my sake. You're going to be abused by men. You're going to be killed for proclaiming the truth. And one of the places you can find that is in Matthew 10. Well, they wouldn't fully understand that until after Jesus was resurrected and gone. And this is really where the root of Halloween comes from, is the the fulfilling of that prophecy of Jesus, that his followers would be persecuted, because immediately the persecution began. First of all, it started from the Jews. The Jews were not happy with their fellow Jews who were believing in Jesus, and they certainly didn't want to tell, want them telling others about their belief in Jesus. And so, you know, they were persecuted by the religious leaders. But, of course, then the Gentiles jump on the bandwagon, and the Romans, uh, and the, specifically the Roman government, were also persecuting the Christians. And that persecution went on unabated for 300 years, almost 300 years. And it's incredible, the stories. You know, right now, Nick, there are so many current stories of believers being persecuted around the world. And through Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors, both incredible organizations, which I highly recommend that you take your family to those websites and you find out more about the individual stories. You know, we're seeing stories of people who are suffering and dying today for their for and for their faith. And it's inspiring. Um, and it makes us want to stand more firmly in the little bit of persecution we have. But those stories aren't new. Um, 300 years ago, there were stories like Ignatius in the year 107. He was actually a student of the Apostle Paul, and he refused to renounce Christ. And you know what happened to him? He was condemned to be thrown into the lions. And uh, so on December 20th, 107, recorded in history, Ignatius, a leader of the church, is torn apart in the Colosseum by lions. Um, there, There's Polycarp, who was also a, a student and a friend of the Apostle Paul. And he lived 80 years, but he refused to deny Christ. And so he was taken to a Colosseum and put on a stake and lit on fire. Um, and his words uh, that were recorded by those who were standing by was that um, he was happy to drink the cup of Christ's suffering to the eternal resurrection of the soul of the body, um, incorruptible because of the Holy Spirit. So, Eighty and six years have I served my Lord, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the only God who saved me? That's right. And so, you know, it didn't matter what he faced. I mean, that that is an inspiring story. And so here, here's the interesting thing. There's another one. There's this great story of a young mother who was begged, please deny Christ for the sake of your baby, her father said. And she refused and she was put to death. Or a legion of 40 Roman soldiers who refused to deny Christ and they were left to freeze to death outside on a pond. I mean, these are incredible stories, but they're just a handful over those 300 years And here's the interesting thing. Rome thought if we persecute them, we can crush them and we can end this sect. And the Jews were all for it. But the exact opposite happened. Um, As Tertullian said, instead, the blood of the martyrs was like seed for the church. It actually fertilized. It made the church grow. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the year 300, around 310. 
Constantine becomes uh, the head of Rome. He has a conversion. Some people say it's it was a false conversion. Some people say he really was converted to Christ. I wasn't there. I can't tell you. Here's what I can tell you happened because of that. He declared that the church would be become, that Christianity would become the official religion of the Roman Empire. And remember, Rome pretty much conquered the entire known world. And so in God's timing, the church was protected and actually brought into a place of honor. Over the years, the church never forgot these incredible stories of men and women like Polycarp and Perpetua and the Roman soldiers. And so they actually had a day on the calendar for each one of these martyrs just to remember their faith. But at some point, there got to be too many of them. And so they chose one day on the calendar and said, look, we're going to have one day that we celebrate and honor and remember the faith of those who came before us. And and really, Hebrews 13.7 captures the heart of the purpose of this. Hebrews 13, 7, Nick says, these were all condemned for their faith. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's not what Hebrews 7, 13, 7 says. It says that we are to um, remember our um, those who came before us and imitate their way of life. So we're going to remember those who came before us, their faith. Yeah, that is 13, 7. Uh, consider the outcome of their way of life, that they inherited eternal life, and imitate them. And so... All these, all these martyrs were remembered over and over again. Well, the only problem was there were too many of them. And so the church decided, hey, let's pick one day on the calendar and really commemorate that day as a day to remember the, um, the martyrs. And so they picked a day in May, and they called it Halloween, or they called it All Saints Day. And the day before that would be the eve of, of All Saints Day, Halloween, the eve of the eve of. That was sort of a Jewish tradition that Christians borrowed, which was celebrate a main holy holiday by preparation the night before. Think Christmas and Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. So that was in May. So Halloween was originally, okay, so this is what, this is, here's the bottom line that's going to throw some people out of kilter. Halloween was originally a church created commemoration day set on the calendar in May to remember the martyrs of the faith who died those first 300 years and yet were guardians of the faith. Halloween was the eve of All Saints Day, which was in May. So for people, it's so funny to me, Nick. There are some people that are so freaked out by the word Halloween, they won't even say it because they feel like it's evil. And the irony is the church created the word. Mm -hmm. And so isn't that fun? Uh, Yeah, I I often get amused when I'm talking with a lot of these people who seem to just get so scared of everything whatsoever. I mean, uh, Michael Brown, for instance, he might have taken it down, but he had a photo up I saw earlier today on his Facebook page of a quote from Anton LaVey, supposedly about how uh, how they're so happy that at least one day a year all the children of the world worship Satan. And, of course, there was no citation for his quote or anything. I, I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to all these people, he said, yep, we, we're not going to fall into it in the comment section. I said, you know, this might surprise you, but Jesus came to the world not just to redeem sinners, but to redeem the world. Everything belongs to him, but yet you're going to say, nope, nope, this one day of the year, not even God can touch that day. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. it it's, I, but I, I laugh from a perspective of, I live in a glass house, so I'm not throwing stones. I understand that fear of not wanting to dishonor my Lord. And yet for me, what I realized was, that fear dissipates with truth. 
perfect love, fear is cast out by perfect love. And Christ, who is love, is also truth. And so I guess that's one of our, um, from, from a, from a, a sort of a spiritual mentor, particularly to women, what I say is make whatever decision you want. I'm not trying to talk you into celebrating Halloween, but what I am saying to you is God does not tell us to act on fear ever. He gave us a sound mind. Go find out the truth. And then whatever decision you make, you're making it on truth. You're not making it on fear. Mm-hmm. So if you were to celebrate Halloween in the year 610, you would have been celebrating it on May 12th, followed by All Saints Day on May 13th. So here's what happened. Here's how we got it to where we are now. And this also explains, Nick, how the pagan holiday myth and that the Halloween is a pagan holiday, the myth of that came about. This, this, it's sort of like an intersection of two roads and you can't remember where the road came from. So for over 100 years, Halloween and All Saints Day was May 12th and 13th. In the year 741, so 130 years or so later, uh, the church was facing a bit of a crisis. There was a pagan holiday, and that pagan holiday was called Samhain. It was becoming very popular, and it was being held on November 1st. And that date, I mean, that uh, that uh, Samhain's pagan festival, that, that does date back all the way to the Celts and Druids. And it, it was beginning to have an influence in the Christian community. I mean, think about the things that are in our American culture. Once they take hold how quickly they spread. And pretty soon we're all thinking, no big deal. Um, You might, I mean, in a way you could even liken, you know, the LGBT movement and um, the the legalization of gay marriage. You know, at some point our culture, our Christian culture is even going to throw up their hands and go, well, oh, well, everybody's doing it's the law of the land, move on. Well, that was kind of what was happening in the Christian culture. Oh, well, it's just a festival. They look like they're having a good time. And it was influencing them. So the church decided we need to do something about this. We need to give the Christians something that they could celebrate at, in competition. In other words, they don't. if they really want something to celebrate, let's give them something different. So they moved Halloween and All Saints Day from May 12th and 13th to October 31st and November 1st. Why? Because they wanted to compete with the Samhain, the pagan holiday, that was infiltrating the culture. So now you've got two festivals or two celebrations on the same date. And that's where people misunderstand the roots of Halloween. They go back to this intersection and they say, see, Halloween's a pagan holiday. No, they intersected on this date after 130 years. And so... Samhain was being celebrated on November 1st. All Saints Day was being celebrated on November 1st. Here's what happened. This, By the way, this was kind of fun, a little bit of tidbit. You know why we have Christmas on November 25th and Christmas Eve on November 24th, I mean, December 24th? We do because the winter solstice, a pagan festival, was being celebrated at that time. And the church wanted to counteract it. So they said, let's make our celebration of the birth of Christ, let's put it on this date, and we'll compete and counteract that pagan influence. Good news, Christmas was successful at supplanting it. Bad news, Halloween and All Saints Day was not successful at supplanting the Samhain. Instead, what happened is you get this mishmash that moved up through the years to where they were sort of commingled, and nobody's denying that, 
There are some of those traditions that are commingled. The history of them is commingled. And what some people choose to focus on is commingled. In fact, the true history of Halloween was so buried under the 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 trappings of the Salon that 99% of Christians do not realize that Halloween is actually a church-created commemoration day that goes along with All Saints Day. So there you are. That was a long story that I think is worth telling. Um, and I also want to say to people, look, don't take my word for it. Philip Chapp is an incredible church historian, uh, very well respected. Go back, dig into your church history books and um, find out for yourself. That's the fun of it. Yeah. Now, I'd like to let everyone know that you're listening to a Deeper Waters podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, Kim Weir is my guest here. But if you're listening next time, I'm going to have John Kostler on. I'm going to be, not going to be talking about apologetics per se, but I'm going to be talking about more like the making of an apologist. How do we do our work ethic and such? Because he's the author of a book, The Radical Pursuit of Rest. And we all want to be the best we can if we're in this field. But do we sometimes miss worship and rest and things of that sort? I'm going to be talking to him, getting some good ministry tips and such. And I hope you'll be here to join me. Now let's get back to uh, redeeming Halloween. Okay, so now we've got this day here. And, you know, honestly, if this was a day meant to honor pagan deities and such, I think pagan deities would be pretty embarrassed that a day meant to honor them involved just kids going around in costumes <laughs> asking for candy. <laughs> I don't think any pagan deities would be saying, yes, we have a victory. Look, Miss Piggy is coming to honor me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good point, Nick. If they existed, they would be insulted. Exactly. Now, do you have a problem with parents sending their kids out trick-or-treating? You know, here is my philosophy on that. Um, in fact, um, you mentioned that I've got a, an article right now on Focus on the Family's website uh, for families. Um, I, I had the opportunity because I, I work with a lot of young women and they have to make this decision as well for their families. You know, we've, we've been through that. I've now got a new grandbaby who's four months old and, and my son will have to make that decision. But mm-hmm. um, working with families, I really wanted to talk with Todd Cartmel because I'm of the philosophy that you can celebrate or you can not celebrate and they can both be the most godly decision that you could possibly make. Mm-hmm. The point is, are you stepping over your conscience in either in any way as you make your decision? Um, that's where you need to draw the line. So I talked to Dr. Todd Cartmill, and he's a child psychologist. He's written um, Eight Great Ways to Raise Kids and many other books. He's he's um, nationally respected child psychologist. And what we talked about uh, and his what he really wanted to caution parents about is, look, be consistent. Whatever you choose to do. Whether you're going to celebrate or not celebrate, dress up or not dress right, give out candy or not give out candy, or find some middle ground in there. Be consistent because that consistency of standing by your beliefs in front of your children, while you won't feel the consequence of it when they're 5, 6, 10, when they're 17 and 18, they will look back and they will have been a product of your consistency when they are beginning to own their own faith. So know what you're going to do, communicate why you're doing it with your kids and make sure it's consistent with your faith values. And I thought that was great. So as in regards to to trick or treating, first of all, the whole dress up thing, I let my kids dress up 364 days out of the year um, because we had a dress up closet and we said dress up was fun. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, why would I say to my children, 
it is fun 364 days that you go up to your dress up and you put in all these costumes that we've gathered up from the Goodwill store or hand-me-downs or whatever. But it's evil if you want to dress up on this one 365th day. That would have been inconsistent for me to say that. Now, if I wanted to disregard Halloween altogether, I guess that's a different story. But the dress up part, you know, that would be ridiculous and inconsistent. And so, you know, for our family, we love dressing up. Um, I also found out the roots of trick or treating. And so I feel I feel good about that. Plus, I feel good, like you said, about the what I've attached to it now, as you gave sort of the symbol of, of the wedding ring. Trick or treating actually goes back to America, believe it or not, in the 1940s, uh, late 30s, early 40s. Um, the Irish brought over with them, the Irish immigrants brought over with them a tradition called Hell Night. And it was done on Halloween uh, back in the old country. And basically they'd go around doing quote unquote hellish things just to be ornery. Um, and so, and, and they did it on this one night, this Halloween night. And so the um, in America, it really was becoming a problem because, you know, not just little pranks, they were lighting outhouses on fire and breaking business windows. And a community said, look, this is ridiculous. We got to do something. So the city leaders partnered with the Boy Scouts and said, look, if, if you kids will go out and go door to door and not do these hellish things, we'll give you a treat instead if you won't do these things. And that, that's how trick or treating started. Kids would come out in the light instead, go door to door, get a treat, that's trick or treat. And the people would say, oh, no, here, take a treat. And, and the bottom line is we wouldn't do a trick. And it's kind of a fun story. And there are ways you can use that, you know, just for store, for lessons for your kids, too. But um, as far as we're concerned, um, I'll, I'll, so, so that's the answer to your question as far as, you know, do I have a problem with it? I don't have a problem with it from the origins of what trick-or-treating is. And I don't have a problem with it in pretend because we play pretend all the time. Yeah. My wife and I just um, late September or October we went to the anime weekend at Atlanta. She's a big anime fan, and one of the big things there was going in costume. Oh, how fun. Play. And that's exactly what she did. And I enjoyed watching her, and as soon as we got home, I started thinking, if we go back this next year, I think I need to start thinking about what kind of costume. So we're already thinking about our costumes <laughs> for next year. If anyone's interested, I'm thinking of going as a Kid Icarus Pit from the Kid Icarus and Super Smash Bros. games because I always <laughs> loved those growing up. But anyway, and I remember when I lived in Knoxville before I moved and went to seminary, uh, my dad and I used to watch Smallville together all the time. So I went out when Halloween with a t-shirt I had made. I had Smallville written on it with a red cape around and said, yeah, I'm going out as Clark Kent. I've been waiting in line at a bank or something in a costume. I didn't care whatever people thought about me. I'm a I'm just a big kid having fun on that day. Well, and if you can imagine how much we still love having an excuse to have fun, I think kids love it. Whether you do, I'll just put this way, whether you do Halloween or not, I think you should get your kids a dress-up box. <laughs> so but let me let me t- say this to you. Because, you know, there are so many opportunities that if, you know, around during this season, sort of like we could cherry pick, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do this? Do you do that? I would love to tell you sort of what the foundation for what we as a family decided to do, how we came across that, if that's okay, Nick. Sure. Okay, so there is a, a, a scripture in First Peter, First Peter 1, and it says, For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
when we look at our lives, particularly for a lot of us, and we, we sort of look at the family legacy we've inherited, a lot of people can say, you know what, I've been handed down an empty way of life from my forefathers, you know, whether it was just um, families who didn't weren't believers in Jesus Christ, whether there was abuse, whether whatever, that we can look and we go, you know what, that was a lot of emptiness in my family history. And I choose that I am not going to keep that emptiness going, but I'm going to believe what he says, that the empty way of life is redeemed by the blood of Christ. That is true in so many areas of our lives that we can understand. We go, oh yeah, I'm not like that anymore because I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. My family is not like my my original family, because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Well, as far as I'm concerned, when I think of Halloween, you know what? It has been an emptiness for the American culture for a long time. It's just an empty, fun, or, and or pagan holiday. And yet, there is nothing that the blood of Christ can't redeem. Oh, yeah. And I choose that Halloween for my family is one of those things. But that doesn't just mean that I want to say, oh, he's redeemed it. Now I'm going to jump in exactly as the culture. In order for me to get the most out of it, Our family looks at Halloween and says, you know what? How can we celebrate it under the original intent of the founding fathers of our faith who said it is important to remember those who've gone before you? So in every element of everything we choose to celebrate, I say to myself, and how can I relate to my kids that this connects to remembering and looking at the lives of those who came before them? So let me give you, for instance, trick-or-treating. You know what? I want my kids to go out and have fun and dress up, and that's great. And so I'm not going to steal that joy, um, but I I did have a way to help bring in the umbrella of the purpose of the original Halloween. So here's what we said to our kids, Nick. We said, look, you can dress up for anything you want for Halloween that's not evil and scary. Why? Consistency. I don't let them dress up in evil and scary things the other 364 days. Why would I let them do it on the 365th day? Consistency. And then we say to them, But whatever you choose, we're going to let it represent some group of people that needs to hear about Jesus. So what do you want to choose? So my daughter might say, I want to be, I want to be uh, Dory from Nemo. And we'd say, okay, so you're a fish. Where do fish swim? They swim in the sea. Okay. Is there anybody that you can think of that has to do with the sea that those people really need to hear about Jesus? And she would say, oh, yeah, sailors, sailors need to hear about Jesus. Of course they do. My son might choose a ninja. Well, where do ninjas come from? Oh, really? Asia. Do you think there's anybody in Asia that needs to hear about Jesus? Oh, yes, because they worship false gods. So we would do this for each year, each one of the costumes they would pick. And here's what we would do. The week before Halloween, at bedtime every night, we would sit with our kids and pray with them that God would send someone to be a missionary, someone to tell sailors about Jesus, someone to tell people in Japan or India or wherever ninjas come from (laughs) about, about Jesus. And so for that week ahead of time, their mind is thinking somebody needs to tell. We're thanking God that somebody has come and told us. We're thanking God for all the people he sent. We're thanking God for all of the people who've stood firm in their faith. And then guess what we do on Halloween night? We just go out in our fun costumes and we get candy. Mm Mm-hmm. Best of both worlds. Well, I'd like to let everyone know that we are only going to be here for an hour today, but what we do here, it is listener supported. And we really depend on people like you. If you want to take part of this, please go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com, and there's a link there. 
help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click that link, it takes you to Risen Jesus Ministries. You still go into the right place. Risen Jesus is ran by my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You uh, make a donation there, and it is a highly, highly secure website. And then you contact Mike or Debbie or myself or Allie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. They will make sure we get that donation. We'll get every single penny of it, and it will be tax deductible for them. Uh, you can also go on Amazon, buy some books that I've either written or co-written. They're all e-books, so get out your Kindles. Books like Defining Inerrancy or A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christians or Groundless or God and Natural Disasters, A Christian Debates and Atheist. And then one other way you can support us is by purchasing jewelry. Now, guys, I'm not sure if you've noticed this fact yet. If you haven't, where have you been? But women tend to love jewelry. They like getting the pretty stones and necklaces and everything else. So if you want to get your lady something special, go to that side on out page. My friend Lena Clester handles that. And you uh, make your purchase there. She'll give you an access code. Get whatever you purchase, 25% of it goes to Deeper Waters. So, guys, you can go ahead and get your lady something very special to make up for that screw-up that you've just recently done. Or <laughs> as future insurance for that screw-up that I know you're going to do in the future, just like I'm going to do. And if you can't do any of these, just please uh, pray for us. Get in touch with me. Let me know you support the show. I mean, it's great to hear from you. And leave a positive review on iTunes. I'd love to see those reviews. It makes my day. Kim, do you have an organization or such that you'd like to see people donate to? Well, right now, because we're right before the holidays, there is an organization called CERI, C-E-R-I. It's Children's Emergency Relief International. And one of the things they do, they, they work in with underprivileged, disadvantaged, mostly orphans um, in many countries. And one of the things they do every year is they go into orphanages or to um, disadvantaged kids. And they actually, in Eastern Europe, where it's very, very cold, uh, and they put a pair of new boots on every child. And for most kids, this is the only thing they will ever own. I've been in the orphanages in Romania and Moldova where they do a lot of work. And so right now they're raising money for their boots, uh, kids, boots for kids program. They're going to be going into Romania instead of orphanages this year. They are going uh, to the gypsy children. Uh, th- these are basically outcasts, the Roma people in Eastern Europe. We hear gypsies, tramps and thieves from chair. <laughs> well, basically, they really are outcasts. And so they'll put in 4,500 pair of boots and they will individually put a pair on each child. They will go there and they will pray with this child and they will share the love of Christ and put these boots on them. And it's $25 a pair and it's C-E-R-I kids, SiriKids.org. And so, yeah, you know, I would just say give in honor of a child that you love that will never have to have somebody come and put boots on their feet because you know they'll never be in that kind of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just looking it up and yep, it's SiriKids.org, C-E-R-I Kids.org. You know, when you were start talking last time here, I was just, you know, thinking, we have so many Christians today who are wanting to guard their children 
from so many things going on, not condemning that, but I think, you know, if I protect them from things like Halloween and such, they're going to be safe. But they don't give them any training in, say, apologetics to defend their faith. They don't keep an eye out for things the Bible explicitly tells them to watch out for, such as greed, pride, materialism, um, sex outside of marriage, any number of things. And that, doesn't it seem like our priorities can be misplaced sometimes? I agree. And having four adult children, you know, there are things that I look back and I go, my husband and I, yeah, we got that right. I look back and think, yeah, I wish I had a do over um, in, in some of those areas. So, it, you know, I, I've always had this visual when it comes to, to faith, because as a Christian mom, my highest priority was, oh, my gosh, I just I want my kids not only to be saved, but to know and stand firm in Jesus. But you're right. We do the exact things that really prevent that by shielding them, protecting them, making them think the world's about them. And then they get out there and the world isn't going to treat them that way. But I've always had this visual, Nick. It's sort of like as an adult, I'm carrying around my faith suitcase. And in that suitcase, I have packed all the things that I believe about Christ, all the things that I hold on to. And when crisis hits or when I need it, you know what? I've got what I need in that bag. As kids, as they're beginning to grow up, we're carrying their little suitcase for them. And the goal is that at some point they are going to receive Christ. We're going to hand that suitcase to them. They're going to own it themselves. But it's more than that, Nick. We got to we've got to put them in a position to experience enough things to even have enough trials in their lives so that they have enough stuff to put in their own bag. They ought to be that bag ought to be so heavy when they leave home. They're practically dragging it down the street because that's their, that builds their spiritual muscles. And instead, we send them out with a fanny pack of faith. Yeah. And what they need is a big old trunk to drag around that has all of the truths, not that they've heard, but they firsthand experienced the reality of Jesus being who he says he is as they go through stuff. And that ought to be our goal as parents is to let them have the hard enough times where we can that they're building their faith muscles. So they get out there. They're not going to get crushed. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about building the faith muscles and such, and if you think going out and seeing your kids out on Halloween is utterly going to destroy their faith and leave them into Satanism, like I have to wonder what kind of faith they're being given to begin with. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I really go back to the fact that we didn't when we decided, look, this is this is exciting. We want to embrace Halloween because it's got this rich faith history. We didn't say, here's what we didn't do. We didn't go, oh, okay, good. It has a faith history. So I'm covered. Now I can just go out and, you know, indulge in all the pagan stuff. Mm -hmm. We said, no, it's got a rich faith history. We're taking that faith history into the world, into our family, and we're going to find ways to make that rich. And we talked about trick or treating, but opening up and, and giving out candy and being the light and, and meeting our neighbors as an open door so we could get to know them, um, hosting a party ourselves so that, guess what? What we would do when we would have all these kids in, because we, we didn't want to send our kids out to parties, quite frankly, because we didn't know what would be going on at that party. And as a wise parent, I, I need to do that. I need to know what my kids will experience. So what did we do? We had the parties. We invited all the school kids and the sports teams. And we did Romans versus Christians flashlight tag. And we told them one of the stories of why the Romans hunted the Christians and how the Christians didn't give up. We had a quote unquote scary story around a campfire. And we told them about the 40 Roman soldiers rather than telling them a ghost story. We took the teenagers 
to a nearby cemetery. And we had them all look at the gravestones and find the oldest and the newest and made a little scavenger hunt after we had permission. Um, and, and then we sat them down out there in the cemetery and said, you know what? It's not the born date and the die date that matters. It's the dash. It's what's in between. It's your decision to trust Christ somewhere in that dash that has everything to do with what happens with you after the die date. I mean, just creativity, but bringing in the spirit of why Halloween was created in the first place, to pass on the faith, to celebrate those and honor those who stood firm so that we have a faith to pass on. I like what she said also about giving out candy. Because I'm remembering that uh, C. Michael Patton of Cradle House, he wrote in Michael once about how, and he was in, I think it was seminary, but he had a professor who was talking to all these kids who were in his class and about how they, they weren't going to celebrate Halloween because they were so Christian and such. And said, this guy ended up having us walk out of class with our heads held in shame. He said, look, you got one night a year where people who could be lost, unsaved people are coming to your door and you're turning the lights out on them and telling them to go away. And yeah. you need to be before you said, and by the way, don't just give out tracks because if you just give out a track to the kid, he's probably going to resent it. He's not going to care about you and it's going to turn him off from Christianity. You give out the best candy on the block. Absolutely. Two-fist, we always call it being a two-fisted giver. Be the most generous person to them and to their parents. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that because, you know, and don't, you know, light up your house. I always say, put your Christmas lights on early. Be the light that's out there rather than pulling into the dark. And families appreciate it. And it's kind of fun to be out on the porch, maybe with some little mini bottles of water. We're from the South, so it'll be nice and toasty on on Halloween. And so, but if you live where it's cold, do hot chocolate or coffee that you can give to the parents. Introduce yourself, you know, get to know them. That way, when you see them mowing their lawn or, you know, taking out the trash, you can roll down your window and say hi. And you never know where that will lead, but being a light doesn't mean being a light 364 days. Yeah. It means being a light every day. And, and you don't have to explain to anybody why you are celebrating Halloween if you choose to. If you in good conscience choose to make it a redeemable day, you know what? That's between you and the Lord and your family. Um, so I say go for it. But, but yeah, let your neighbors think you're generous. Yeah. And that's kind of a Romans 14 issue. Isn't that each person honors a day to the Lord and that each one be firmly convinced in their own mind? Absolutely. And and for those for those mamas and daddies that they're listening and they're going, ah, that's all good and well. But you know what? Really, we're for our family, we're not going to. I said, that is great. Know why you're not going to. Mm-hmm. Communicate with your kids because that inconsistently, particularly after I talk with Dr. Cartmel, but even as a mom myself, I really you get that as they get older, man, they know it. They'll pick up on inconsistency in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Explain to your kids why. Um, and don't do it out of fear. Don't hide. Um, if you're, if that is your strong conviction, embrace it, but bring your kids along with why you're embracing it. And don't let them, don't let them believe things that aren't true. And, you know, I'm thinking also that nowadays, a lot of people have to drive around, you know, to go trick or treating. If you're one of the parents, this could be a great time to really just get to talk with your kid, actually, when you're not seeing there watching the TV screen or something. Absolutely. So you know, here's here's a fun little irony, Nick. <laughs> so 
the the original pagan holiday Samhain mm-hmm. is really centered around the earth and harvest. Um, so keep that in mind. Now, kind of think about all of the churches and their, you know, well-intentioned desire to give an alternative to Halloween, which they have not recognized as a church holiday. Mm-hmm. What have they done? They have called them, quote unquote, harvest festivals, mm-hmm. which is hilarious because what they've done is they just moved the church back toward the pagan holiday of harvest, which is when you think about it, it's kind of funny, ironic. Um, if you are going to do something harvest, don't let it let it be harvest of souls. Send harvest boxes to a missionary, you know, and the sense of it, they are working in the harvest. This is a Halloween is a great time to say, you know what, let's pack some harvest boxes for the workers in the harvest and pack a little goodie box and mail it to a missionary, you know. Um, uh, another great opportunity this time of year is, you know, Martin Luther, uh, who is a great person for your kids to study because he is the person who started the Reformation, who looked and said, you know what, uh, the church, the, the religious leaders are not shouldn't be the keepers of Scripture and you shouldn't be selling forgiveness and you shouldn't be worshiping relics and all these other things. And so basically, Martin Luther was the person who God laid on his heart, you know, get the Scriptures yourself and investigate how does one become right with God? That was a big question he wrestled with. How does a man become right with God? It just it tormented him that he couldn't find the answer to that question until he looked at scripture and he realized the only way for a man to be right with God is not doing all these rituals. It's trusting in Christ alone. And so when he discovered all of this, of course, he was outcast of the church. What did he do? He wanted the people to know. So he wrote what he called his 95 theses, these 95 points about what he believed. And he nailed them to a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And do you know what day he nailed them? I know you do, Nick. Yes, I do. <laughs> October 31st. Mm-hmm. And so Reformation Day is an incredible opportunity that falls all at the same time. I just think it's fun that God would allow that at the same time of year when really the root of Halloween and All Saints Day was to go back to those who depended on Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's some fun ways that you can celebrate that too. In our book, we give you a zillion different ideas whether it's outreach, whether it's celebrating within your own family, or whether it's just taking advantage of this season um, by remembering the martyrs, you know, with All Saints Day and Luther's legacy. The International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is November 6th. If I could get your churches and individuals to do anything, I would get them to go to IDOP.org, internationaldayofprayer.org, and figure out ways that you can participate in praying for the churches who are still becoming the martyrs of the church today. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm thinking about it, you know, I keep thinking, if we retreat from the world, no matter what, then we always give the world more grounds for gaining. Engage the culture where something is good, celebrate, promote it, have no problem. Where something is wrong, change it. But if you just isolate yourself, you're not doing anything back to kind of helping the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, I was thinking about Halloween, Nick, earlier in the context of just this whole political season. You know, it's sort of there there's there's so much that we look at and our whole goal, our whole heart is oh, if we could just redeem politics, if we could just redeem these areas of our culture, we could get it back if we could just, you know, and and all those are grand ideas. But I'm just thinking, you know, that that is that same philosophy that the Christian heart can apply to, to Halloween. It is what you make it to be. You can redeem it because Christ has redeemed all of the perishable things. And it doesn't matter if Halloween's true intent was hijacked. Christ is the ultimate authority. 
Under his authority, you can bring it into your family and make it this new, rich family legacy that you're passing down instead of an empty way of life. You're going to be passing this richness to your kids who will pass it to their kids who will pass it to their kids. It is a small corner that we can begin to redeem the things in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I do have to say also to people out there that when, when Kim speaks, she does speak from a position of a parent. Allie and I don't speak from that position yet, maybe someday, but not yet. But, you know, I'd say also that it's good to teach your children these kinds of lessons and such, but definitely make sure they have fun, too. I mean, Halloween should never be a day of drudgery for them. Let mm. them have fun, because they're only going to be kids once. Yeah. God's word says, I have given you everything that you need in this life for enjoyment. God was the creator. And that's one of the things we talk about. God was the creator of festivals. He created festivals for his people. I mean, it wasn't the people's idea. It was God's idea to create festivals, a time of celebration and commemoration that didn't end with, you know, the coming of Jesus. He, he, Jesus loved to celebrate and laugh. And you know what? Your kids sour on the faith when we offer them a sour faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Jesus got invited to a party at the wedding of Cana before he'd done any miracles. Apparently someone thought, hey, Jesus seems like a pretty fun guy. Let's invite him. <laughs> well, indeed, I feel sure that we will have that experience of, of joy in heaven. I doubt seriously it's going to be a list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> so, you know, start bringing the kingdom now by really enjoying the life that God has given you. That's one of my mantras for women. Uh, life is has got enough responsibilities and heartbreak, the culture, um, just life in general, they're suffering. You need to enjoy what God has given you in the moments that you can. That brings pleasure to the heart of the father. He's a good father and he wants his children to be full of joy and not even just, just any joy, the joy of the God of the universe who created the elephant and the aardvark. Well, let's suppose that parents listen to this and they think, you know what, I'd like to step out and try. I'm a little bit hesitant, but I want to just try. How would you recommend I approach this the first time? Um, You're talking about celebrating Halloween? Yes. So first of all, I would say that if you've wrestled with it as far as you felt like it was your spiritual duty not to celebrate Halloween, my first thing would be don't step over your conscience. Go before the Lord prayerfully um, and let him convince your heart. If you need to look at the details, you know, our book, Redeeming Halloween, or Philip Chap. You know, first of all, be convinced of the truth. Because what does God's word say? The truth shall set you free. And it really does. Fear binds us. The truth sets us free. So I would say the first thing is, you know, keep, approach it with a clear conscience. Get to the point where you can approach it with a clear conscience. After that, then I would just decide as a family, how can we take some aspect and not only celebrate the season, but I would say to them that the key element in redeeming Halloween is embracing the original intent of the founding fathers of Christian faith who created Halloween. Find a way that you are embracing, remembering people who came before us in whatever form or fashion you want to do that. And then make it your own. Every family is different. Have fun and make it your own. There's so many different ideas out on the internet, not as many as I'd like in our book um, about, you know, even if it's just you have a party that you quote unquote can control, 
there's a fun way to take a pumpkin and use it to tell the gospel. Um, there are so many great fun movies that you could use as movie night that talk about the the faith of those who came before us, even if it's Veggie Tales. There's a story of Daniel. Guess what? Daniel is one of those who came before us who was looking ahead to a promise that hadn't yet been fulfilled. So whether it's trick-or-treating or movie night or having a party or whether it's something like embracing, you know, the hardest boxes, um, find a way that it's twofold. As you said, Nick, that it's fun and that it embraces the original intent and that you're redeeming the day. Well, Kim, we've unfortunately come to the end of this hour here. Do you have a blog or website where people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Sure. Uh, you can go to kimweir.com, and it's W-I-E-R, I before E. So kimweir.com. That's right. Um, it's kimweir.com. And on that page, there's a link to a Bible blog. There's a link to a life blog. There's a link to the radio show. Um, so, yeah, love for you to stop by and visit me there. And uh, if anyone's interested, the book is Redeeming How Ween Celebrating About Selling Out. I'm not sure how you're going to like hearing this, but on Amazon, you can get it for a high, high price of one penny. <laughs> well, right. Yes, but this, um, we published this book back in, I think, 2003, 2004. So it's been a while. Um, and Focus on the Family still publishes it, so you can get it directly from them. Mm-hmm. But as far as that goes, I, I mean, it's not, I don't think you're going to find it in many bookstores anymore after, you know, what is that, six, 16 years, 10 years, 12 years, 12 years? I'm not good at math. <laughs> anyway, but you got to focus on the family uh, and get it there, um, or you can email me through my website, and I'll email you a copy, send you a copy. It's a hard copy book, but that focus on the family is good. Yeah. And do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the Deeper Waters audience today? Well, I just want to say thanks for giving me the opportunity just to talk about this. It's, it's fun. It's exciting for me. I my whole thing that God has used in my life is truth. And so, you know, God's given us such a privilege of having the Holy Spirit that we might know truth. And so just go out and enjoy the season, friends. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'd like to thank you for coming on, Kim, and hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you so much. I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have John Kostler. We're going to talk about the book, The Radical Pursuit of Rest. For now, I'm Nick Peters. And I am signing off.